Well, Psalms 18 is, is one of the last psalms that David wrote. It is going to be the last sermon in our Praying Through series. I'm not sure exactly where we're going to go. I know I'm having Brother Mike preach next Wednesday night. Uh, so I, I have a little bit of time uh, to seek the Lord and study and see where we're going to go next on Wednesday nights. We might stay in the Psalms. We might take a break. We'll see, but uh, be praying for that and be in your place. I know that God will give us something uh, that'll be helpful. But Psalms 18 is a very, very long psalm. It's 50 verses long, so we're not going to read the text at large. But let me tell you a little bit about the setting of this psalm. It's the only psalm in the entire Bible that, that is written twice. It's first written in his, Israel's history book, which you'll find in 2 Samuel 22, this same exact psalm. Worded a little bit differently, but from the same person. Um, and that is the first time it was written. Then, then inspired by the Holy Spirit, David wanted to also include it in Israel's hymn book. And, and he changed it up a little bit for the format of a hymn book under the Spirit's leading. But it's virtually the same exact prayer, same exact psalm. The inscription, if you have that in your Bible, Psalm 18, the inscription above the psalm reads like this. A psalm of David, the servant of the Lord who spake unto the Lord the words of this song in the day that the Lord delivered him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. And, and so we know that it was written in the latter years of his life, according to 2 Samuel chapter 22. And it was written during a time when he was finally experiencing peace from all his enemies, especially his chief enemy, Saul. David hadn't known long term peace in many years. I mean, think back over the course of David's life is from the from the time he came on the scene, the guy was fighting. He had a battle with Goliath as a teenage boy. That victory propelled him into years of running from, from his maniac father-in-law who was jealous of him because he beat Goliath and got praised for it. And, and, and then he had many battles against the Philistines as he tried to conquer territory um, that Joshua and the others never did secure, but God promised him. Uh, then his own son Absalom led a revolt against him and ran him out of Jerusalem. Then he had remnants from the tribe of Benjamin where Saul was from. They were still loyal to Saul and were constantly slandering David. I could mention more adversaries that he faced, but at this point in David's life when he wrote this song, he was finally experiencing peace. After a lifetime, adult lifetime of, of hardly any peace at all, there was no more fighting, no more running, no more betrayal, no more slander, no more javelins getting thrown at his head, no more lonely nights in a cave or in a desert. At that point, he's an older man now, he gets his pen out and he starts writing one of his last prayers. And this particular psalm is really about what you would expect from a man who was, who was living in peace during the latter years of his life. It's like a, a giant memory book. And David has a lot of memories. I mean, he's been through a lot. I mean, just think about all the things we've talked about that he's learned to pray through so far leading up to this point. Betrayal, vulnerability, humiliation, loneliness, atrocity, treachery, vengeance, guilt, and spiritual drought. So Psalms 18, watch here, is really a culmination of all of those prayers. It's the prayer of a man that prayed through a lifetime. And that's the title of this final sermon in the Praying Through series. Praying through a lifetime. David could pray this prayer at the end of his life because he chose to pray faithfully during his life. Now that's an important statement because, listen to me please, at, at the end of our life, we don't get to catch up in our prayer time. So, so we won't get a Psalms 18 moment like David had unless we first have a Psalms 56 moment of praying through our fear. 
And we don't get a Psalms 18 moment until we have a Psalms 59 moment of praying through betrayal. Or a Psalms 142 moment of praying through loneliness. Or a Psalms 51 moment of praying through guilt. What I'm saying is this, watch here. You don't get to thank God for answering prayers you never prayed. And that's what Psalms 18 is. It's just a big thank you letter to God. Looking back at all the memories and all the snapshots of the things that he prayed through leading up to this point. But had he never taken time to pray through those issues in his life, he just prayed for them. He prayed about them. He prayed around them. Had he not had a discipline of fervent prayer praying through these things, he would not have a Psalms 18. Because God doesn't answer prayers you fail to pray. So we're going to look at Psalms 18 and we're going to see what a lifetime of praying through results. And I hope it motivates you to have a solid, consistent prayer life. Number one, praying through a lifetime fosters a deep love for God. Look at the very opening statement of the psalm. Study with me. He says, I will love thee, O Lord, my strength. Now this statement, I I will love thee, O Lord, doesn't appear to be unique off of the page. This, This is a statement we've probably said to the Lord in prayer. We've certainly sang the song, I love you, Lord, or my Jesus, I love thee in that old hymn many times. But but the word choice of David in the word love makes it mean a little more than just a simple statement of affection to the Lord. In fact, the only time that this Hebrew word for love is used is right here in Psalms 18 and verse 1. It means more than affection. It means deep an expressive affection. It's very intense. And they even said it was an intimate word used in that day. One scholar said that it means this, to yearn over. It carries the idea of wanting to express your love physically through an embrace. So in essence, it's as though David is so in love with the Lord at this point in his life that he wants to put his arms around him. He don't want to just say, I love you, Lord. He wants to give him a hug. He has like this surge of emotion that has to be expressed. And and surely you have felt that before in your earthly relationships. Maybe a child does something that makes you proud or a grandchild does something that makes you proud. And so after they make a shot or after they play a good game or after they have a good grade or or at an awards banquet at school or a concert or something, you see them afterwards and and, and you want to say I love you, but more than that, you just want to hug them. Maybe, maybe you, you, you have a loved one that's going through a very difficult time in the hospital or, or they have to bury someone they love. And, and so when you see them for the first time upon that tragedy, you don't want to just text them I love you or tell them I love you. You, you want to hug them, don't you? There's just this surge of emotion in you that, that wants to do more than say I love you. I, I've seen it in airports when a military uh, man would, or, or woman would get back from deployment and, and their family would be wait, waiting there in the terminal for them with signs that says, Welcome home, Daddy, or Welcome home, Mommy. I mean, there was such a surge of emotion where they couldn't just say, I love you. They had to embrace one another. This is how David felt at this point in his life. And I, I want to know, have you ever been at that place in your relationship with the Lord? A place where spiritual emotion was just welling up inside of you to the point where where, where you burst out. I I love you, Lord, and and you wish that you could be in his presence to embrace him when you said it. I mean, it was just like emotion overtook you because you just realized how good God was to you. I think some Christians go through their life and they never really outgrow the puppy stage of love with the Lord. It's surface. It's shallow. 
They might feel it every once in a while when they sing a cool song at church, but they rarely get overwhelmed with a genuine affection for God. Why is that? Here's why. Because their walk with God, their prayer life, their daily relationship is shallow. The more you walk with God, the more you love Him. Deeper you walk with God, the deeper you love Him. If you haven't felt that internal surge of spiritual emotion bursting in you for the Lord in a long time like you do for your kids or your grandkids or your spouse, hey, you need to pursue a better relationship with Christ because that is a product of being in love with Jesus. That's fostered over a lifetime of praying through. Number two, praying through a lifetime develops an experimental knowledge of God. Look at verse number two. The Lord is my rock and my fortress, my deliverer, my God, my strength, and whom will I trust, my buckler, and the horn of my salvation, and my high tower. Did you notice that, that, that David mentions God by way of eight different names? To me, it's as though David is flipping through a portion of his photo album and showing us who God has been for him through his life. I mean, I can imagine David kind of motioning to us to come look over his shoulder as he said, hey, here, here's God when he delivered me from the lion and the bear. He was my strength. And let me show you this. Here's God when he took that stone I slung at Goliath and he, he caused it to sink into his forehead and kill him instantly. He was my fortress. Here's my God when he delivered me out of the clutches of my maniac father-in-law. He was my rock. Here's God after I committed the most consequential sin of my life and having an affair. He was still my God. Here's God when my own son betrayed me, ran me out of the palace and into a desert. He was my high tower. I mean, every title, whether it's rock or fortress or, or deliverer or any of the other 12 titles of God that David gives to him in this psalm pointed to a specific time when God had in a very specific way met David in his hour of need. Are you hearing me? David knew God not just by name. He knew God from experience. And that's how names are. Follow this. Names acquire significance based on personal experience. That's why when couples are considering names for their baby, um, they argue back and forth. Dad mentions an option for a name and then mom replies, no, that was the name of a strange kid in third grade that I went to school with. You know what I mean? Mom mentions a name to dad. He says, no, I dated a girl by that name in high school. She was crazy. That's how names are. I remember Kevin Kent was very easy to name. Because we asked God for a boy. Because Jenny's dad, who was a pastor for many years, went to be home with the Lord, died of cancer. His name was Kevin. The man who I called grandpa growing up, Larry Landis, who was the pastor before my dad was a pastor, his spiritual mentor and father in the ministry, his middle name was Kent. I was named after him. My middle name's Kent, and I wanted to carry that on. It, it, it was so easy to do that because we had experience with these people. And so Kevin Kent is kind of a combination of the experience we had with Jenny's dad and then Brother Landis, a hero in our life. That, that's just how names are. They gain significance. Through personal experience, I want to know how well do you know God? That, that goes beyond whether or not you can recount the names of God in your head or, or how many questions you can answer about God in a Bible trivia game. I'm asking how well you know God through personal experience. Has he ever been your strength when you were weak? Has he ever been your fortress and you're being attacked? Your friend, when, when your other friends betrayed you? Your healer when the doctor could do no more? 
Your shield when the devil's darts were overwhelming you. Your refuge when the storm was too much to handle. Your father because you no longer have one. Your rock because you had to be strong for everyone else who could no longer hold yourself up. Hey, can you go back to your... To times in your life, seasons in your life, chapters in your life when God was who He says He is? Or is all your knowledge of God based on only things you read about in other people's life? See, there's, there's a different level of knowledge you can get when you spend a lifetime of praying through. Notice, thirdly, praying through a lifetime creates personal history with God. I love this. I, I'm not, I'm not going to read all the verses because it would just take us too long. But in verses three through six, you go study this. David began to rehearse over some of the very difficult places that he found himself in through his lifetime. Then he gets to verse seven through verse 15 and he leaves his circumstances and he recalls two of God's greatest deliverance in Israel's history. His, uh, when he met with uh, Moses on the top of Mount Sinai after delivering God's people from the Egyptian bondage and then the, he talked about the deliverance for the, for the people of God at the Red Sea. After he, he recalls what God did for Israel, after what he recalled what, what, what terrible situations he found himself in through his lifetime, then in verses 16 through 19, He gives the testimony of how God did the same thing for him as he did for the children of Israel at the Red Sea and on Mount Mount Sinai. Look at verse 16. He sent from above. So he's no longer talking about Israel. He's talking about him. He took me. He drew me out of many waters. He delivered me from my strong enemy and from them which hated me. For they were too strong for me. They prevented me in the day of my calamity, but the Lord is my stay. He brought me forth also into a large place. He delivered me because he delighted in me. Here was David's testimony after a lifetime of praying and, and walking with God. Here's his testimony. Just as God came through for Moses and just as God came through for the children of Israel, he came through for me. See, David wasn't left at the end of his lifetime with only a testimony of what God did for other people. He had a testimony of what God did for him. He had personal history because he had a personal relationship with God himself. Why should you learn how to pray through right now? Why should you learn how to develop a consistent and vibrant and fervent prayer life right now? Here's why. Because when you get toward the end of your life, you're going to want to have a story to tell and a testimony to give. Not just about what God did for others, but what God did for you. Not just about how God answered the prayers of your parents and your grandparents, but how God answered your prayers. How sad it would be for you to neglect a real daily prayer life during your lifetime and have no history to recall and stories of God's deliverance to tell your kids and your grandkids and the future generations of Fellowship Baptist Church at the end of your life. You understand you're writing a story right now. You're either creating history with God or you're not. The story you get to tell later will be determined by your prayer life right now. You can't get to the end of your life and make up things that God did for you. That's inauthentic. It's hypocrisy and it's lying. You can't ride the coattails of your parents and grandparents and your godly mentors the rest of your life. I'm asking you, sir. I'm asking you, ma'am. When are you going to get with God? When are you going to get up a little earlier than you've ever gotten up before in your lifetime and start chalking out time every morning to get in your prayer closet and work yourself through a prayer list? When are you going to do that? When you're 50? 60? 70? When you have more time? 
We're progressively having less time in our culture. You'll never have more time. You'll always fill the margin time with something else other than God if you don't fill it with God now. And prayer time now. Sadly, a lot of Christians will have stories to tell their kids and grandkids about the deer they shot. And the fish they caught. And the car they rebuilt. And the house they purchased. And the job they retired from. And the business they established. Yet not be able to tell them a single prayer that God answered. Or a single time in history when God came through for them. When they sacrificed their finances for worldwide missions. Because they have no history of God. Yeah, You can't make up history. You can't make it up. It's got to be a part of your life now to become the history of your lifetime. Praying through a lifetime fosters a deep love for God. It develops an experiential knowledge of God. It creates personal history of God. Notice, fourthly, praying through a lifetime leads to a rewarding walk with God. Look at verse 20 through 24 in your Bible. The Lord rewarded me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands hath he recompensed me. For I have kept the ways of the Lord and have not wickedly departed from my God. For all his judgments were before me and I did not put away his statutes for me. I was also upright before him and I kept myself from mine iniquity. Therefore hath the Lord recompensed me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands in his eyesight. Now I don't know about you, but at, at first it appears like David's being arrogant. Did you catch it? I've kept the ways of the Lord. I did not put away the statutes from before me. I kept myself from iniquity. What is, he, is he claiming to be perfect? Is he claiming to have a clean record? We know his life. He didn't. But you have to read verses 25 through 29 to understand the point David's trying to make. Read those next verses with me. Verse 25, when the merciful, thou wilt show thyself merciful. With an upright man, thou wilt show thyself upright. With the pure, thou wilt show thyself pure. With the forward, thou wilt show thyself forward. For thou wilt save the afflicted people, but will bring down high looks. For that will light my candle. The Lord my God will lighten my darkness. For by thee I have run through a troop. And by my God have I leaped over a wall. I wish I could really dive into those verses. They're, they're amazing truths. But, but, but let me get the bigger principle out for you. When you put verses 20 through 24 together with verses 25 through 29, you understand the principle that David's trying to get across. It was something that he learned. Listen, after a lifetime of honoring God, and it's this, God honors those who honor him. David wasn't perfect. And so he knew what life was like when he wasn't perfect. But he also knew what life was like when he honored God. And at the end of his life, he could say this, listen to me. When you honor God, God will honor you. And this principle was well intact before David ever came on the scene. 1 Samuel chapter 2 and verse 30 says, Be it far from me, for them that honor me, I will honor, and they that despise me shall be lightly esteemed. David didn't make up this idea. This is how God worked before David ever showed up. Ever showed up. It was on the scene. Uh, or it was intact well after David left the scene. John chapter 12, verse 26, from the mouth of Jesus himself, if any man serve me, him will my father honor. This is a rule of God. This is how God works with his people. You honor me and I will honor you. John Kitchen said this, I've quoted him often during the series, I'm indebted to him for his study in the, the book of Psalms. He said, God never does anything like that for me, we complain. Well, what are we asking him to do? Walk with us? Are we walking with him? It is in the circle of his will that he pours out his power. 
All who live within the circle of his will experience the downpour of his power. It is futile and arrogant to go our way asking God to bless our plans and expect that he will manifest his power on our behalf. God exists first, not to bestow blessings, but to be obeyed. In the path of obedience, his blessings is unfailingly found. And I say amen to that. Why pray through for a lifetime? Here's why. God rewards prayer. You've got to believe that. James said the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man, what did he say? Availeth much, not little. It availeth much. It works good. The Bible says God is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. So church, seek him. And when you have, you've strung together many, many months and many years of faithful prayer, and you can look back, I'm not talking about a week because you get an emotional surge. I'm not talking about a month after a revival meeting. I'm talking about putting together a, a string of years of learning to pray every day in a prayer closet. You put that together and you'll look back and you'll see how you got the attention of God. And you'll be able to trace his hand in your life in very rewarding ways. Why isn't God working in my life in that way? When's the last time you prayed? Do you have a fervent, private prayer life? If not, don't put God on the hook for that. He is standing at the door waiting to open it if you'll knock. Ye have not because ye ask not. He says this, ask, seek, and knock. The tense in which that was written in the Greek means this. You could translate it this, keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. You don't come to the door once. God honors perseverance. He honors desperate, uh, dependent, disciplined prayer. He does. I hope you can sense, this is something God's doing in my life. He's trying to take me to a new level of prayer time. As a pastor, I know that, 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 that really it's, there, there are two things that I've got to get right according to Scripture. That's preaching and prayer. The, the Bible says I've got to be given as a pastor, above anything else, I've got to be given to the ministry of the Word and prayer. I, it doesn't matter. What else I do right? If I don't get those things right, I'm not doing right. And I know as your pastor, I, I, I owe you that and I owe God that. And God through this series is, is, is trying to take me and I think is taking me to, to a new level of prayer time. And I hope that burden's coming out from the pulpit. I hope you're sensing that, 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 that I hope you're grabbing on to that spirit, to my burden that man, man, you need to pray. Because I, I, I think that I, I just really genuinely believe God's people struggle to have a consistent prayer life. And my interactions over the last 15, nearly 15 years with people in this ministry, it, it just, there are some people that can read their Bible, but when it comes to daily disciplined, fervent prayer, Dad, I've, I have found that a lot of folks struggle with that unless they're in a crisis. Let's review. So far we've learned that praying through a lifetime fosters a deep love for God, develops an experience of knowledge of God, it creates a personal history of God, it leads to a rewarding walk with God. Let me close with this one. Praying through a lifetime culminates in thankful reflection to God. The last 20 verses, verses 30 through 50, you can go back and read it at some point. I'll, I'll touch on two or three verses in here, but, but what it is, is is just one gigantic reflection of praise and thanks to God for what he did for David 
during his lifetime. I want want you to see how that section of the song starts in verse 30. Very familiar line. Maybe you've heard it before, read it before. As for God, David says, his way is perfect. Did you see that line? As for God, his way is perfect. Now, Now look up here. You know David's life, right? Would you qualify it as perfect? No, it was, it was less than ideal in a lot of ways. I, in fact, don't think that David could have read that or prayed that as Saul was throwing javelins at his head. I'm not sure the first thing that comes to his mind is, as for God, his way is perfect. I don't know if David could have written this as he slept in fear inside a dark cave by himself. I'm not sure he could have written this when he was humiliated and betrayed by his own son Absalom. But watch here. He chose to stay with God even though God's way seemed less than perfect. And because he did that, at the end of his life, he could declare that God's way was indeed perfect. It wasn't always ideal. But looking back, he can say that God was always right. Don't miss this next statement. The greater portion of your life will only become clear in the rearview mirror. I want that to sink in. The greater portion, you'll understand some things in the present, but the greater portion of your life will only become clear in the rearview mirror. Now watch this. If your walk with God is determined only by what you can see right now and how you feel right now, by what makes sense to you right now, you won't have a very good prayer life. You won't ever feel like praying. You have to learn how to keep praying and keep trusting and keep walking with God, even though the way in which God has led your life is less than perfect. Because one day, church, watch, if you stay with God and you pray through the less than perfect days, I'm talking about the dark caves, the lions, the bears, the Saul's of life, the Goliaths of life, the Absalom's of life. If you stay with God during all those times, learn to pray through them, you will get to a Psalms 18 moment where you'll look back in the rearview mirror You'll be able to say like David, as for God, his way is perfect. That doesn't mean you'll look back at your life's most difficult moments and be happy they happened. But you'll be able to look back and see how God used them to make himself very real in your life. And David reflected on that. Here's my point. God's ways are not going to seem perfect today. Now, there's nothing about my brother dying a couple of years ago that still seems right or seems perfect. There's nothing about 2020 (laughs) that seems perfect. There's nothing about it. But the greater portion of our life will only become clear in the rearview mirror. Here's where God's people go wrong. Because it doesn't seem perfect in the present, they don't stay with God long enough to see a bigger picture of it. And so they walk away with God because they want to understand it now. They want to interpret it now. They want to feel it now. But they can't. And so God, you're mean. And God, you're not fair. And God, you're unloving. And so I'm walking away from you. And they forfeit, they forfeit Psalms 118 verse 30. They forfeit getting to a place in their relationship with God where they can look back 10 years later, 20 years later, 30 years later and say, now I know. I wouldn't have chosen it. I still don't like it. But I can see how God became real to me in that moment. 
But you've got to stay with God. You've got to pray through the less than perfect days. And then in this big old thankful reflection, I want you to go to the end of the psalm and see how David closed. Verse number 40, uh, 49, yeah. Therefore, because of all the things he just mentioned, here's his conclusion. Will I give thanks unto thee, O Lord, among the heathen, and sing praises unto thy name. Great deliverance giveth he to his king, and showeth mercy to his anointed, to David, and watch this last phrase, church, and to his seed forevermore. Did you know that, that you're a child, if you're a child of God, you are part of that seed that David just mentioned. That God will be for you what he was for David. No, 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 you are part of the family of David. You are part of the family of Jesus Christ. You are a son of God if you're a child of God. And so what David said about God's deliverance and God's mercy and God's goodness being upon him and his seed forevermore, that applies to you. God will do for you and already has in so many ways what he did for David. You just have to open your eyes to see it. Listen, if you'll spend a lifetime of praying through, you too and I will come to the end of our life and we'll be able to say like David, therefore, therefore, because of this and this and this and this and this, I will give thanks. I'll sum up the entire psalm with this one statement. You ready? If you live your life praying, when you live your life praying, you can end your life praising. Not much to sing about at the end of your life if you never really talk to God during your life. Not much testimony to give. Not much history to speak of. I mean, not many songs of God's goodness can you sing if you never experienced it. How do you experience it? A daily walk with Him. A daily walk with Him. I'll end by telling you a story. I know I've told you before, so... If you have to indulge me, do that. If you've never heard it, then great. But my father-in-law walked with God, Jenny's dad. It's her birthday today. She turned 29 today. Anyway, um, her dad passed away just shortly after we got married, obviously before Kevin was born, of cancer. And man, her dad was just an epitome of grace and optimism. And had such a genuine walk with God and love for God. To know Kevin O'Brien would be to know a man of God. One that just was just a genuine guy. Loved the Lord. Walked with the Lord. And so when he's on his deathbed there in Lubbock, uh, we would go back and forth. And when we knew it was in the last couple of weeks, we went there to stay. And it would just be me and Jenny and Darlene, her mother, and her sister Juliana in there. And at times her brother Jeremy. And we would be around Kevin's bed. And as cancer, dying cancer patients are, they're in and out of awareness and all of that. And, um, sometimes you have no idea if they can hear what you're saying. And then sometimes you know they're, they're hearing what you're saying. And, and so Brother Kevin's favorite psalm was uh, Psalm chapter 91. And, uh, and so Darlene asked me um, to read that psalm. And this experience, I know I've told it before, it's just so vivid in my mind and it fits, it fits this statement exactly because 
I began to read that psalm out loud and, and, and I knew he was aware of what I was saying because he would interject a phrase over and over and over as I was reading. And you know what the phrase was? It was, God is so good. God is so good. I mean, his voice was trembling. He had no strength. The guy was days away from dying. And he would, it's all he said. No interaction. No theological explanations. He just had one thankful reflection. God is so good. God is so, he ended his life praising God. Literally praising God. He didn't have to force that. He could have said all kinds of things, but you know the thing that was on his heart? God is so good. How could he have that at the end of his lifetime? Because he lived his life for God. He lived his life in such a way for what, 52 years, June? Where a lifetime of prayer, a lifetime of preaching, a lifetime of studying God's word culminated in a Psalms 18 moment. You don't get to make those things up. On your deathbed, you're not a hypocrite. You don't have energy to lie. You, you don't have creativity to be somebody that you're not. You just don't care. You're not even awake half the time. And so what comes out on your deathbed is going to be what's in here. And I, I want every one of you through this praying through series to grab a hold of this. If you want a story to tell later, get with God today. Get to church every time the doors are open. Get in the word every day. Get around God's people. Develop a prayer life. Get some history with God so that maybe at the end of your life, if the only thing you can say is God is good, boy, that's a testimony that will tell the rest of, at least the rest of my lifetime about Kevin O'Brien. That's history. That's incredible. So, so to end this series, just to, to end the sermon tonight, Virginia, why don't you come and let's just spend some time in prayer. And man, if you've listened through these sermons, I, here's what I want you to do. I, I want you to really ask God, Lord, help this not to be a kind of a one and done thing for me. Lord, help this not to be a new leaf situation where I turn over a new leaf. I'm going to start praying. I'm going to start praying. God, would you do something in my heart so deep that, that I feel like I have to pray like I feel like I need my next meal? Or God, I long to be in your presence every morning. Lord, help my prayer list not to get dusty ever again. God, help me to walk with you so that at the end of my life, I can praise you. Amen? Stand to your feet. Let's, let's have some time of prayer tonight. As she plays the piano, you fill these altars, pray in your seat, whatever God leads you to do. But